One dollar, two dollar. Oh. I've got loads of. No, quarters. don't worry, I've got it, I've got it. Can I ask you what the speed limit is? <laughs> I can't really tell you an exact answer. Oh. oh. Why? Because I'm really not sure. Oh. oh. <laughs> we should all know this. Does she not drive? <laughs> Works at the tolls. Yeah, how does she get? She doesn't walk there, does she? <laughs> this is Food Trippin'. You're listening to me, journalist Anastasia Miari, on a road trip through America's deep south. Food Trippin' is a podcast that takes me out into the world by car, boat, or train. I take a friend along the way, and en route, we discover the lesser known regions of our planet through food. In this series, my friend Iska Lupton and I hit the deep south of the USA for shrimp and grits in North Carolina to the drive-ins of Tennessee and Mississippi. We continue onwards to a gumbo of food influences in Louisiana and then on to Texas for some real Tex-Mex. The reason for this trip? This podcast is all about discovering places through food. Other than burgers and club sandwiches, I really have no idea what American food culture is all about. What better way to find out then than going to the deep south? In this episode, we're getting to grips with our little Ford Fiesta on the enormous highways of North Carolina, and we're exploring the all-American breakfast and seafood culture in the Outer Banks. I'm going to prefix this with a huge apology for the dodgy audio you're about to hear. It's a bit windy, it's day one, and we haven't read the instructions before hitting record on our handy little Zoom mic. It's a classic case of all the gear, no idea. We should actually also say that we've just driven past a gun store on the way yeah. to this petrol station, which is a bit terrifying. A gun shop and a ne- next to a nail salon, next to a barber. Yeah, it's nestled between it, get your guns. Pop in for a haircut and then get your guns after it. It's weird. I always want to go back and have another look. We've just crash-landed into North Carolina and it's a culture shock. Gun shops with neon get-your-ammo signs line the highway, along with enormous and countless food advertising billboards. Did you just see that sign? There was, um... It was a advertising billboard for some sort of fast-food yeah. place. Waffle? It was like a waffle burger. This Would country you... is nuts. And we've only just started. (laughs) Our car's like a tiny ant in comparison to the monster trucks. Some of them are trailing Trump flags. Honestly, our eyes are like saucers. Our first stop is a place we've never heard of before. Two eggs any style. So far, so good. So it's our first morning in the Outer Banks, the sort of um, islands on the Atlantic coast of North Carolina. I know I sound uncertain, but we are fact-checking everything. Promise. The Outer Banks are a thin strip of barrier islands, a 200-mile-long sandy coastline that separates mainland America from the Atlantic. We drive in under blue skies, past pine forests and an endless dunie beach. We can see the appeal to the first English settlers who arrived on Hatteras Island in the late 1500s. The infamous pirate Blackbeard followed them not long after. He loved it so much here that he made the Outer Banks his base, between pillaging and plundering the high seas. It was also here that the Wright brothers flew the very first plane in 1903. We're here for the food, though, and our first stop is the old life-saving station in a place called Duck. 
It's a bit of a grey day and we're in a sort of, what do you call it, like a beach, a beach house. Yeah, it feels it's like very kind of... wooden clad. Yeah. Lots of navy blue and white um, and references to water. References to water. And it is absolutely empty. There's not a single person here, it's just us. What do you think oh, that something is? arrived when you were out. Oh, what is it? Two little biscuits. Do you think this is the buttermilk biscuit? Kind of looks like a scone. Yeah, I think that's the buttermilk biscuit. Oh, right, okay. Is this the buttermilk biscuit? Oh, nice, yeah. okay. We were just trying to discern what a buttermilk biscuit was. Okay. It's a bit like a scone. A little bit. Yeah. No. Okay. okay, savory. Good. You'll like that. Very good. Try it. I'm not the only one to have likened a buttermilk biscuit to a good old English scone. Type biscuit and scone into the internet, and a whole world of comparisons are out there to be argued over. The big difference between an American biscuit and an English scone is that the settlers who made the biscuit what it is today added buttermilk to it. Buttermilk is just what a body needs. Its protein helps restore the energy that summer heat drains away. And it's low in calories, too. Buttermilk is absolutely essential to southern cooking. It's, it's in a lot of dishes here. But it isn't actually milk. It's the liquid left over after churning the butter. And it's the result of frugal homemakers keeping the leftovers, leaving the liquid out because there was no refrigeration in the, um, the hot southern regions of the US, and then natural cultures and bacteria would form. This then would cause the milk to sour, giving buttermilk its slightly tart flavour. Mmm, it's really nice. Is it? Very buttery. Mm. Okay, that's good. Sort of a bit cheesy. Mm, not Which sure. Is, no, that's a good adjective now. Is it? Mm. Okay. <laughs> Depends on the day. Yeah, I know. The acid in buttermilk helps to create a high-rise when combined with baking soda. That's why it's used in a lot of American baking. It also tenderizes gluten, resulting in that light and fluffy texture that distinguishes the American biscuit from the British scone. Buttermilk biscuits, then, have a tangier flavour and a less dense in texture to the scones we're used to in the UK. I was hoping you'd go for something like... Well, I don't want anything sweet from the griddle. <laughs> what on earth is a cherry cheese blintz? <laughs> she sounds, sounds like a porn star. Cherry cheese blintz. Yeah. Howdy One there. night only. My name's Cherry Cheese Blintz. I'll do whatever you want at whatever cost. <laughs> what is a grit? <laughs> Should we ask her? Can we ask you a question? Our waitress is amazing. She's wearing a purple scrunchie to match her purple glittery eyeshadow. She very patiently runs through pretty much the entire menu with us Brits, completely ignorant to the all-American breakfast. We're just wondering, um, what, a, what is a grit? What's a corn grit? So grits are um, hominy corn that's ground up and it's like um, boiled in water. And they're really good. You can put butter in them, or you can put mm. cheese in them, or salt and Inside them. them? Is it like polenta? It's um, like, like oatmeal. Porridge. Yeah. Like it's ground up like that. Mm -hmm. It's a bit like porridge. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. A bit like porridge. Okay. I just said porridge three times. I like porridge. Maybe we should try that. Yeah. They're delicious. They are really good. We order the grits, along with the Outer Banks breakfast. Mm. Do you know what I mean? That's very really good. Uh, we chose a, um, a blueberry pancake in the end. But it's not overly sweet. 
Oh, it's delicious. Mm. Mm. It's really good. But, and I think this is going to happen a lot, it's just too much. <laughs> well, I can't believe we were considering having a breakfast each. No. We're, we've decided to go for one, and honestly, this plate is... I think you could feed a family of four on yeah, this. Yeah, this is a family sharing platter. Yeah. <laughs> for one. So we've got two sausages on here, two eggs sunny side up, and we've also got a side helping of grits, which, to be honest, I'm least excited about. Should I try it? Mm-hmm. It's like a bowl of white... Fluff. Well, well, squidgy goo. Like, I'll tell you if it's fluffy now. I really wanted to like grits because I love porridge, but it just doesn't really taste of anything. <laughs> Why are you opening your mouth so much? I okay, just don't it. know about it. Turns out we're not doing it right. You have to add stuff for flavour. But we're not far off about the porridge bit. The English settlers that came here saw the Native Americans grinding down the corn that was absolutely plentiful and abundant in the area. The corn became a powder, hominy corn, and that resembled oats, like what they were used to at home. In his book, American Food, A Gastronomic Story, which I basically dragged across the whole of America with me, Evan Jones describes grits as a stick-to-the-ribs gruel to which they added malke syrup. Hope I've said that right, Malke, as the Native Americans sometimes did. Start out each morning with joy and love and laughter. Share a little warmth and light. And whatever the day brings, whatever comes after, you know it's gonna turn out right. Quaker Instant Grits products make good mornings better. It's the same good Quaker grits you've always loved, but now they're instant. And they come in original country ham and country bacon flavors, too. It's going to turn out right. What, they're fairly um, bland as far as flavor goes. Um, That's Chef Tony Pentecost calling his own grits bland. It's a southern thing, southern U.S., and uh, what it is, uh, it's usually uh, cooked with some type of uh, uh, animal fat. Or they'll That's add. Being cooked with an no, this is straight, uh, just uh, water, mm-hmm. and we season a little bit, and uh, we allow the customer to season it up or add whatever they want. You so know, basically you, you know, you get the, the uh, you get your butter yeah. on the table, and a lot of times people just put butter in. Essentially, so. grits need a little love. If you want tasty grits, you have to add a load of flavor in there. That might be in the form of butter. In the past, it was animal lard, or sugar, or shrimp. Another outer bank staple. We'll get to that later. It makes sense then that the Puritans moving from England to the New World would... They'd bring their cooking habits with them. In my Bible to American Gastronomy, Evan Jones says... Britishers had come to the New... Britishers? (laughs) Britishers had come to the New World for religious freedom and they were intent on emulating the daily life of their homeland. So, essentially, Puritans then exercised the plain style, as they called it, and, yeah, their food was no exception. By the way, that whole time you didn't stop eating pancakes. I know I didn't, (laughs) but do you know why? It was a conscious thing. Because I wanted him to know that I really liked his pancake. I actually really do love his pancakes, and to prove it, Chef Tony Pentecost of the Outer Banks, North Carolina, has made it onto my recipe selection for his blueberry muffin batter pancakes. The recipe is on our website, foodtrippingpodcast.com. Try it, taste it, make it as big as possible, potentially larger than your plate. Serve it with eggs sunny side up and a sausage in true Outer Banks style. <laughs>
That pretty much concludes part one of this episode, but that's only breakfast. There's so much more to discover. So next, we're off to find out about the Outer Banks seafood heritage. That was an interesting experience. What's wasn't it? it? Oh, my brake's on. Well, that wasn't good, was it? Hand, <laughs> setting off with your handbrake on. It is amazing how the houses sort of sit in the undulating dunes, though, isn't it? It's really yeah. beautiful. I it think is. I think in the summer it must be so such an amazing atmosphere here. And it's I've never don't think I've ever been anywhere that has beach on either side like that that you can sort of stand in the middle of a. Yeah. So basically, the Outer Banks is just sort of one long strip of an island, incredibly long strip of an island. To be more precise, it's 175 miles of sandy coastline, with a beach on either side. It's around 10,000 years old, which is a geological baby. Native Americans settled here about 2,000 years ago. Then they were followed in the 1500s by European explorers. The first of these is assumed to be the Florentine merchant and explorer Amerigo Vespucci. Amerigo is actually the namesake of America. What people don't know is there's a good chance he landed in America just before Christopher Columbus, a man whose name we all do know. The first colony came from England in 1585. They're rumoured to have abandoned their mission, though, because of a dispute with the natives. They were never heard from again, which is why they're known as the Lost Colony. It wasn't actually until a good hundred years later that British colonies started popping up again. Sorry. <laughs> We've pulled in off the very busy highway to a sort of diner, um, and it's called I Got Your Crabs. <laughs> with coast on either side, the outer banks are rich in seafood. Crab cakes, crab chowder, crab tacos and blue shell crab are prolific here. Obviously there's free refills here because it's that kind of place. Oh, yeah. Again, apologies for the dodgy audio here. It's our first few days and we haven't got a clue how to use the mic. Sorry, I know that doesn't make the listening experience better, but bear with us. Not on beer, unfortunately. Oh, pink lemonade. I've never had a pink lemonade I a pink before. Lemonade. Would you? Crab well, we could just get lemonade. one because you just keep refilling it, don't yeah, you? They'll, they'll be on to us. Yeah. They obviously have quite a cult following here because there's a lot of T-shirts for sale um, with various slogans like crab picker on them. <laughs> Crabbing is big business in the Outer Banks. In 2019, 22 million pounds of blue crabs were landed in the area. That's a lot of crab cakes. So I grew up um, on the Chesapeake Bay. This is Wendy, the manager at the life-saving station where we ate our dream pancake and not-so-dreamy first bowl of grits at part one of this episode. Over breakfast, she told us about the tradition of shucking crabs. And my mom would go and put the crab pots out of the house and um, bring them up and then we would um, steam them and put the um, Obey seasoning on them and then lay out the um, paper and we would shuck the crabs. And For those that don't know, shucking crabs is just another term for picking the meat out of them. Shucking crabs is hands-on and it's best done in groups. You lay newspapers down on the table and prepare for a lot of mess. 
the whole family get their hands dirty, separating inedible lungs and ugh, gooey pancreas from tiny lumps of sweet crab meat. An average blue crab weighs one-third of a pound. The amount of meat you can extract from it is far less. It's about two and a quarter ounces of meat. That's the size of a McDonald's quarter pounder without any toppings or bread. But her, my very favourite that she makes is crab cakes. So it's uh, you know, very authentic and it's very hard to go other places and have other people's when you have your mamas. <laughs> is that a very typical dish from here then, from the outbanks? Absolutely. Crab cakes. Yeah, crab cakes. Yeah. What's the seasoning that you said? Um, Obey. What's that? Obey, it's just a, it's a, like a crab spice. <laughs> yeah. What's inside a can of Old Bay? A dock worker from Locust Point, a doctor from Sinai, a hairdresser from Patterson Park, and a firefighter from Glendon. There's a fourth grader from Friendship Academy and a lacrosse star for Boys Latin, a Catholic priest and an Orthodox rabbi, a grandma from Dundalk, and a drummer from Hamilton. What's inside a can of Old Bay? You are Old Bay. For 75 years, it's been the can that connects us. We've since clarified exactly what Old Bay is. It's a spice mix used for seafood and poultry, and it's been around since the 1940s. It's named after an old passenger ship, the Old Bay Line, and it went between Baltimore, Norfolk and Virginia across the Chesapeake Bay. That's the largest estuary in the US, in the mid-Atlantic, and it's where Wendy's from. If you want to have a go at making your own, it's a mix of celery salt, paprika, black pepper, cayenne pepper, cinnamon and ginger. Apparently, Subway used to use Old Bay in their seafood and crab salad back in the day, and around the Chesapeake Bay, you can even find it in your Bloody Mary. Pleasantly surprised with that crab cake. It's delicious. Really fresh tasting. Mm. And it's been served with a sauce. Do we know what this sauce is called? Um, no. It looks a bit like a Thousand Island dressing, but it tastes much nicer. And it's quite spicy, we just dipped our crab cake in it. And the crab cake is really crispy, crunchy on the outside, nice and soft on the inside. The texture's really good. Texture is important. The colour on this taco is amazing, though. I wasn't expecting to be eating such colourful food in the south of the southern states of America. There's a load of crunchy cabbage in this, along with finely chopped sweet mango, red onion, tomato and really zingy coriander. There's sriracha mayonnaise in there for a spicy kick too. And it's an amazing combination of sweet, spice and crunch. And it's pretty aesthetically pleasing too. Crabs aren't the only seafood that are typical of this region. The second most economically important fishery in North Carolina after blue crab is shrimp, or what the local old timers call bugs, owing to how much of a nuisance they were to fishermen before they became popular in the 1920s. Like the blue crab, there's an absolute abundance of shrimp on the coastline of North Carolina. The topography of the Outer Banks with its marshes and estuaries is particularly handy for shrimp babies to stay safe. Shrimp spawn in the ocean, but the currents carry them into the marshes. Now, shrimp babies grow fast. Once they're ready to face the big bad world, they swim off towards the ocean. Then, they're picked up by trawl nets in the sounds and rivers of the Outer Banks sloshed into buckets and picked up by locals like Sharon to sizzle in a hearty shrimp stew. When they're cooking and they're browning, they're going to um, season up this juices 
the, the oil and stuff. And then you put your potatoes in there. And the potatoes take on that shrimp flavor. <laughs> I like how you're describing it. It smells amazing already. Mm-hmm. Sharon Kennedy was born and bred in Hatteras Island. She's something of a local celebrity here, and she's even got her own cooking show on the radio. She lives in a hurricane-battered home made from repurposed wood. And it's not just any old repurposed wood. The floorboards came from the wrecks of ships found at the nearby Diamond Shoals. That's where two major currents clash, and ships for centuries have misjudged the depths of the coastline. Today, we're learning how to make Sharon's hurricane-proof shrimp stew with pie dough. They're, they're turning from grey mm -hmm. to a nice pinky colour. You can almost see it underneath, it's kind of. one of my favourite colours. Yeah. Coral. Yeah. It's the colour that you have on your um, new Outer Banks uh -huh. shirt. Do you I like that we're matching tops? Do you like that we're wearing matching um, Outer Banks tie-dye tops? Well, it shows you are cool. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think we're cool? I feel like you're patronising us. <laughs> no, no. Yes, we have been out to buy matching tie-dye Outer Banks t-shirts, and no, we do not look particularly cool. Unlike Sharon, who quite promptly has become our favourite person in North Carolina. Well, do you know how Hatteras' name came about? No, tell us. There was a lady down at Hatteras Inlet, and she was clamming. And the wind blew up and blew her hat off and blew her dress off up. And she had to say her hat or her ass. <laughs> no. No. You made that up. She had to grab her hat or cover her ass. <laughs> that's not it, is it? That's one of my grandfather's. <laughs> Sharon's mega relaxed. No, actually when we meet her, she jumps into our Ford Fiesta. We don't even know we're picking her up, but she just shoves an icebox into the front seat of the car and we all just sort of cram in. Then we drive off to source the shrimp for our lunch. Amrooch talks about her family, she shows us around the neighbourhood, she even talks about her philosophy on men. She then buys four pounds of shrimp, which is like, it's a it's hundred shrimps. And that's all just for this one stew that's going to be eaten by me, Iska and Sharon for lunch. Can you remember why you chose to cook this dish for us today? Because everybody had fried shrimp, steamed shrimp, sautéed shrimp and grilled shrimp. But no people really ever did stewed shrimp. All my Forrest Gump references come flooding back to me here. We're in shrimping season now then, aren't we? Yep. And it seems to be quite a fishing place where we are. That's what we were founded with was yeah. fishing. So you're, you're from a fishing family? Yes, and, and, and that's the, the sadness of it, is so many people uh, have come here, recreational fishermen and stuff, and uh, they are fishing for trophies and bragging rights and where our fishermen are fishing to feed people. There's been huge controversy in the area in recent years thanks to new laws that restrict commercial fishermen from fishing. One amendment even reduced the amount of fish that could be caught by up to 70% in 2020. In 2018, the recreational catch of speckled trout was five times the amount of the commercial catch. The same goes for red drum, with commercial fishermen only catching 10% of what the recreational fishermen had caught in the same year. So limits are increasingly placed on the commercial fishing industry in the Outer Banks, but those fishing there recreationally, just for fun, they're left to their own devices. 
so they can actually catch more than commercial fishermen. You could look here on any given day, and there's probably well over several thousand fishermen on Hatteras Island fishing from the surf right now. There's probably not even a hundred local commercial fishermen in the water today. After cooking, we do actually end up going down to Diamond Shoals with Sharon. The entire coastline's filled with men comparing the size of their rods. There must be hundreds of them there all fishing for fun. Most of them drive over the dunes to the point where the Labrador Current and Gulf Stream meet. Their enormous 4x4s are all lined up at the very edge of the surf. Many of them are decked out with Trump banners. It's quite a sight and drives home Sharon's message. The Outer Banks fishing industry could become a victim of over-tourism. Then what does that mean for the island's seafood heritage? We're leafing through a very well-leafed cookbook at the moment, aren't we? It looks like you've used this a lot. There's a, here's a hatter stewed shrimp. This lady's house was right beside my grandmother's. Mm-hmm. Hers is with cornmeal dumplings, but this is the... Um, this is the recipe. Mm-hmm. So this is probably very similar to what your grandmother cooked Yes, as well. we did pie bread. What the hell is pie bread? It's boiled bread. Okay. Well, no. It's actually boiled pie dough. I suppose it gives the stew a bit more um, consistency, doesn't it? There's a bit more in there if you want a feed, a good feed. Oh, gosh, yeah, you just add more potatoes and more dumplings. Mm. Yep. Mm -hmm. Do you think it's quite a wintry dish, then, this one that we're going to make? Yes, it's a fall-winter dish. You're exactly correct. It would not be a winter as like January or February because people would have not caught shrimp at that point. As it happens, late summer and autumn are actually prime hurricane season in Hatteras. Tropical storms can bash the barrier islands any time between June and November. North Carolina is actually ranked fourth after Florida, Texas and Louisiana in the number of cyclones that have produced hurricane-force winds in the USA. In fact, just months before our visit to Sharon, Hurricane Dorian made landfall as a Category 5 storm in the Outer Banks. And Hurricane Dorian is still out there. It's made another landfall in Cape Hatteras, North Carolina, this morning with wind speeds of 90 miles an hour. And we are still tracking Hurricane Dorian, a powerful, slow-moving force, and now making its way through the Outer Banks in North Carolina, where it will make landfall. The state under flash flood warnings and tornado watch. Officials here are warning and urging residents to continue staying staying put. They know that it's been a long night, but they want people to continue sheltering in place, urging that emergency responders are not going to places where their own safety will be put at risk. What happens in the hurricanes here? Have you, how do you handle a hurricane? You stay, I stay home. Well, uh, I make sure I've got, see all my lanterns on top of my refrigerator? Yeah. We've got loads of lanterns up here. Here, she's going into an exhaustive list of the essential supplies most outer bankers will have during hurricane season. If you live here, you really have to think so much more about how to store food, how long you can live off your supplies, what you're going to do if there's a power outage. Driving through the outer banks, we notice that all the houses are raised on sort of industrial-sized stilts. That's to minimise the risk of flooding and damage to their property. Mm-hmm. What does batten it down mean, though? Like- it's stuff I hadn't even thought about. Battening it down for a hurricane is like a military operation. 
What does it feel like when the hurricane comes through, though, when you're in the house? Do you feel mm-hmm. like the wall's shaking? What's it? We feel like, like we've been through a centrifugal force. <laughs> this is just another one of the ways Sharon surprises us. She's always coming out with words we've never heard of before. We really don't like even our... know what that word means. Centrifugal, that's yeah. spinning, like when they do blood yeah. works and stuff, and they're spinning the blood to get all the separation. It's huge. Yeah, yeah, you can feel it in your body. You can feel it. Oh, gosh. Mm. You kind of like it. <laughs> Let me tell you this. It's, it's, it is very exhilarating. It's never a dull moment to live here. Never. Yeah, Sharon is a hero. And her shrimp stew's not bad either. What an amazing feast you've made for us, Sharon. It looks absolutely amazing. Mm. And you've served it. We're having it in your backyard, on your porch, Mm -hmm. surrounded by all this green, with your fig tree, and with an amazing, refreshing glass of iced tea. We do also have Sharon's iced tea recipe, by the way. This is truly a honor and um, just amazing to um, share with people mm. oh, from so other sweet. other lands. Because, Thank you. Uh, it's amazing. Yeah, it's so nice. We never know what we're going to find, and yeah, it's so nice to be here. Now, if you need more seasoning, mm. you're more than welcome to. That's very good. But isn't it a different flavor? Mm-hmm. I actually really like it with the pie bread. Mm-hmm. The pie bread is essentially a pie dough. It's been boiled in the stew to add even more weight to this hearty meal. Its texture is almost like strips of pasta. And I know it sounds odd, but it makes it even more like a hug in a bowl. Exactly what you need when a hurricane's passing through. You could put tarragon in it. You could put Italian seasoning. You could put all kinds of stuff. But we, we just always liked our stuff very... Mm-hmm simple that's actually what i read in the book of american cooking that i have picked up from a cookbook in new york that actually a lot of southern cooking is very very simple seasoning well back in the day it was onions potatoes Mm -hmm. salt and pepper it's it's a very homey comfort food basically Mm -hmm. much like sharon her shrimp stew is so warming and although it didn't take very long or very many ingredients to make it's hearty It's bulked up with pie dough and very thinly sliced potatoes that thicken the sauce. And it's seasoned in such a delicate way that we can really taste the shrimp. There's even a pickled lettuce garnish that really cuts through the whole thing and adds an extra crunch. Also, shrimp dishes are never, ever this generous. There's just so much shrimp here. It's the kind of stew that warms you through, but it doesn't leave you feeling heavy at the end. I mean, I love shrimp scampi. I love... Uh, sautéed shrimp with garlic, mm. a plain old steamed shrimp with some good old bay and an ice cold beer, nothing better. Well, for never meeting you two, I think it meshed pretty well. We thought so too. Here's us leaving Sharon's after great big hugs and two huge helpings of her special Hatteras fruit cake. That was unexpected, wasn't it? That was amazing. I didn't expect to connect with her in that way. No, it was like I didn't talking either. to a mate of ours the whole time. Yeah. She seemed to share our views on everything. Yeah. Which was really, really... I know I shouldn't say this, but it's so not what I was expecting from someone in the southern states of America to be like. Especially not someone who lives on an island, like, 
this yeah. like this one sort of flung into the Atlantic Ocean away from not just away from Europe but sort of away from the rest of America as well. North Carolina's Outer Banks was our perfect introduction to the culinary delights that America's southern states have in store. In place of cheesy waffle burgers, we found fresh seafood, zesty crab tacos, and people like Sharon that defied all expectations. Beyond the gun stores, southern hospitality is real. Check the website for the recipes from this episode. For pancakes the size of your head, crab cakes, zesty crab tacos, and a hearty shrimp stew, all courtesy of the people that welcomed us into the sandy, pastel-hued outer banks. Next on Food Trippin, Tennessee. If you liked this episode, please do hit subscribe for more Travel Through the Taste Buds, interviews with chefs, home cooks, and people who just love food. Thanking everyone that made our first days in North Carolina so stand out. That's TTM World and Visit the Outer Banks, the Sanderling Resort in Duck, North Carolina, and lovely Sharon. Thanks also to my fellow producer and editor, Faranisa Campana, and road trip buddy, Iska Lupton. This episode was reported and hosted by me, Anastasia Miari. Music came from Mixkit and the Free Music Archive. Book your own North Carolina adventure to discover a fascinating heritage with so much to offer the hungry traveler. It's a place where imaginative chefs are bringing the region's amazing food to the fore, where beaches, mountains, waterfalls and lakes are just waiting to be explored. Visit visitnc.com for ideas on how to plan a trip just like ours. Special thanks to Visit North Carolina and the Outer Banks for making this trip so special. Food Trippin' is a More Corners podcast made with Ink Studios.